Where does the term domestic church come from, and what does it even mean? How is the domestic church like the Catholic Church, and what can the domestic church give to the Catholic Church? Join us today as we discuss these questions about liturgy of family life with noted authors and marriage and family experts, Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek. I'm Father Dave Pavanka, president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka, President of Franciscan University of Steubenville. And we're talking today about the liturgy of the, of the domestic church life. I'm joined with our panelists, Dr. S uh, Scott Hahn. I'm going to get a little confused here because Scott's not in the right place. <laughs> but Dr. Hahn is Professor, uh, the Father Michael Scanlon Professor of Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization here at Franciscan. And we're also pleased to welcome our special guests, Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek. Together they direct CatholicCounselors.com, an organization dedicated to Catholics finding faith-filled solutions to tough marriage, family, and personal problems. They are the founders and directors of the Peyton Institute for Domestic Church Life an apostolate of the Holy Cross Family Ministries. They are also co-hosts of the popular radio show More to Life and co-authors of over 20 books, including Parenting Your Kids with Grace, Welcome, Greg and Lisa. Great Thank to be here. You. With all that going on, it's amazing that you're able to handle the kids and watch the kids and care for the kids. So, we're, Homeschooled in yeah, the midst yeah. of all that. We were talking so. early that, uh, that we were classmates together, yeah. so to yeah. be able to have you back with us is a great blessing. So thank you for Lovely taking the time. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. So uh, just uh, first off, I, I was very excited at doing some of the readings about what you're working on, and you spent quite a bit of time talking about what does it mean to be a holy family. And oftentimes when we think of a holy family, we think of the holy family. Sure. And if we compare, at least my family, I love my family. I think it's a good family but compared to, to the Holy Family. So how do we reconcile those? Well, a lot of times when we think of, of, of our family compared to the Holy Family, we, we don't think Holy Families as much as we think, holy cow. Yeah, right? yeah that's <laughs> right. Um, but, but families are called to be holy. You know, it's funny, we get a lot of calls on the show, uh, More to Life, that, that where people will say, you know, I used to have a great prayer life before I got married mm -hmm. and had kids. And there's this sort of perception that somehow marriage and family life is antithetical to living a holy life. But you know, this whole project that we're doing on the liturgy of domestic church life really asserts the fact that, that family life is a, a little way of holiness. Mm. Yeah, I think so many of us, and we graduated from this university as well, and you know, I remember you know, being able to sit in the chapel in front of the Eucharist for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you become a parent, and you have to make food and pay bills, and it's, it's a completely different life. And people think there's no way to be holy when you're in the chaos of family life. But yeah. nothing can be farther from the truth because not all holiness is monastic. But we have Absolutely. this idea of a monastic spirituality having to be applied to family life. So you'll have a mom of you know, eight kids all under the age of 12 and she has them like kneeling trying to do the rosary in perfect formation. It doesn't work. Yeah. It, you know, if it works once or twice, yeah, you're, you know, it's glorious, but it doesn't work. 
But when we look at domestic church life as a family living together, being really intentional excuse me, about how we live, praying through the day, incorporating God as another member of the family into our lives, we can live a holy family life. You know, I think of the contrast between the domestic and the monastic. But monasteries are, in in effect, called to be spiritual families, right? With an abbot as a father figure or a mother superior. They're a type of domestic church. Exactly. So there's an analogy because if they're a kind of supernatural family, we're a natural monastery. For them, it's ora et labora. For us, it's labora et ora. (laughs) We work and then we try to find time for prayer. But I I remember distinctly when I came into the church, and we moved here in uh, 1990, and I would always pledge to do a holy hour. And it became evident that it was only convenient in the early evening. Mm-hmm. Well, it also became evident that it was extremely inconvenient because that's when Kimberly w- was getting the kids down. Yeah. And so after about a month or so, she comes to me and she said, uh, what gives? <laughs> well, and so I went to my spiritual director, and he's like, this is a no-brainer. You know, you can go to the Holy Eucharist and spend time, but you can also spend time, you know, remember holy matrimony. That's a sacrament. It's not just something that happened years ago. It's who she is. And so in her presence, you can do a holy hour, even if it's just changing diapers and that sort of thing, you know. Yes. And it, it just, in a subtle way, it turned everything upside down for me. And then I'm looking around like, wait, this is right side up. This is the way it's meant to be. And, you know, I, I can't ever say that we have become a holy family. It's like chasing your shadow. But on the other hand, it gives us the only realistic goal mm. for what the sacraments are for, you know, and living it out, striving for it, always falling short. That's life. And I think that's important is that I think there's this burden that my experience largely with younger couples that want to love the Lord, that want to be faithful, that want to pray, and and they think that that's how you do it, by looking at, at my life or, or the priest's life. And, and I think what you're onto is so important, and, and it's actually hopefully freeing this burden that I, I tell my parents they don't pray the same way I do. And, and then also mom and dad, both retired now, don't pray the same way they did 40 years ago when they had six teenagers running around the house. Well, it's funny because one of our dearest friends in the world is a priest. And when he was in formation, we had gone up to Notre Dame and and to visit him. And he was in the kitchen. It was his week to scrub the pots. And he was so excited. He's like, guys, look, I'm scrubbing a pot. (laughs) I did not do that in years. And the, the, the effervescence, the sense of the Holy Spirit, because he knew he was serving. He knew he was serving the people he lived with and that it was an act of love. And we have that opportunity all day, every day in family life. You know, we, we, we talk about the, the universal call to holiness uh, as, as the, that sort of great insight from the Second Vatican Council that talks about how holiness is not just for the ordained or religious, but, but for everyone. But we haven't done a lot to really develop a kind of ground up uh, domestic church-based spirituality, one that's really authentically part of the life of, and fabric of, of family life. And, and that's one of the things that we really wanted to focus on with this Liturgy of Domestic Church Life project, that, that this is sort of a, a follow-up to that idea of the universal call to holiness. How do we, you know, you make the point, Scott, in, in First Society about the importance of living sacramentally, for couples and families to live sacramentally. Th- this provides a framework for people to be able to think and, and live sacramentally about family life. When you, when you experience that, though, what, what do you see the difficulties or the obstacles for, for a couple to be able to do that? I mean, that's, that's great, and it's true, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. Sure. It's also difficult. 
So what are some of the obstacles that you experience that you see in being able to live that out? Just being busy, right? I mean, there's just a billion things that come at you all the time, a billion commitments, uh, the, the concerns about paying the bills, and, and all. And, and I think that we have a tendency to see that as separate from spiritual life. You know, if I could just get all the stuff done and get all the bills paid and get the diapers changed and get the kids to bed, then I can finally be spiritual. But, but this idea of living sacramentally and, and this liturgy of domestic church life, what we're encouraging people to do is to invite Christ into those moments. You know, as I'm paying the bills, to talk to God about <laughs> that experience yeah, yeah, yeah. of it. As I'm changing the diapers, you know, trying to talk to God about that and bring God into that experience. As I'm correcting the kids, asking for God's help, or even praying with the kids about the problems that we're experiencing together in the family. You know, bringing Christ into the experience of family life instead of feeling like I have to get done with all the family life stuff in order to finally go and find Christ someplace else. There's something very real about this, even though it's kind of right beyond our reach. Bringing Christ into our family is really, I think, a reflex of noticing that he lived a family. He had lived in the Holy Family for 30 years. And, you know, the people of God have been waiting thousands of years for the Redeemer to come. And there he's biding his time for 30 years in a home. Like, get on with the work of redemption, <laughs> would you? I think he would say, I am. You know, and, and so when we see Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we're, we're, we're recognizing not only an icon of the Holy Trinity, as Pope Benedict put it, but also a challenge for us to recognize that it isn't just the, the prayer of the Holy Family, it's the fact that they played together, they took walks, they prepared meals, they cleaned up, they did chores. All of those things are part of the work of redemption. I agree wholeheartedly, and I think so many of us think that doing something holy means doing big things for Jesus. You know, building a church, building an orphanage, you know, going out and volunteering, joining every church committee there is. And we, when we look at the Holy Family, as you're talking about, we see a quiet time. You know, we often hear, you don't really hear from Joseph in Scripture, mm -hmm. but we do because he lived. He lived that family life. Our Lady lived that family life. Jesus lived as a child, and we see even when, when they lost him and he was in the temple, that, that even moment of chaos in family life. They lived that and showed us that not only were they living with God the Father, but they were living with the presence of Jesus Christ all the time in a family life. And as Catholics, we can do that all the time as well. I'm glad you brought up St. Joseph because on the one hand, he is quiet, but I'm sure his hammer was banging away. Yeah. We right. speak of him as the most chaste spouse, but it doesn't mean the most repressed spouse. <laughs> you know, there really is a sense in which he would look at the beautiful Marian art and say, she was much more beautiful than that, mm -hmm. you know. And, and he noticed her feminine beauty and he was attracted to her. She's the most beautiful woman in the world and he's not gonna notice. I think he would also remind us, though, that with the icons and all of Marian art, you know, I saw her when she was exhausted. I saw her when she was her covered with sweat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's real life, but that's redemption. Yeah. And, and that's why when I was reading some of the work that you're doing is that you're trying to do that. Your goal is to help the families recognize that God is present in the midst of, of everything. And a difficulty mm -hmm. is that is so many of the images we get of saints is when everything was quite perfect. Perfect. So there's maybe a distinction between a holy family 
and a perfect family, right? And, and yeah, I mean, you know, to be perfect doesn't, I mean, to be holy, excuse me, doesn't mean that you're perfect. No. It doesn't mean that everything is perfectly in order. It doesn't mean that you have everything perfectly going on. It, you know, there can be chaos. There can be a messy family life. It, that's, you know, to be holy in, in Scripture and the church tells us that, that holiness just means that you are set apart for a divine purpose. Mm -hmm. And and every every Christian family has been set apart for a divine purpose. They're there to, to, to bring God's love to each other and to the world. Um, and, and in talking about spirituality, the, the other part of this is, is the idea of ministry. A lot of times we think that, that to do some meaningful ministry, we have to leave home and spend all of our time away from home mm. you know, serving the church. But one of the points we try to make is that ministry, kind of broadly defined, is, is any activity that communicates the, the love of God to another person. Sure. And if that doesn't explain family life, I don't know yeah, what yeah, does, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so how do we, you know, the, the, the most important ministry is family life for, for anybody who is married with and, and has children especially. And so how do we think of that in terms of ministry and how do I bring God's love to my kids, to my spouse, to the people that I encounter throughout the day as we go about as a, as a family? And then what you would go on to say is that you do that by being church. We, we, we've used the word, you've used the word domestic church domestic a couple church. of times. Obviously it's, it's familiar, but maybe just basic definition, explanation of what do you mean when you say the domestic church? Sure, and it's it's a little confusing because um, the church hasn't actually provided an official definition of domestic church. And so one of the one of the first things that we did um, when we got together at 2019, we had a, uh, a, a, a symposium at Notre Dame called the Catholic Family Life Symposium, which was a gathering of about 50 different theologians, uh, social scientists, pastoral counselors and others, really looking at what would it take to renew Catholic family life. And one of the first things we looked at was, you know, how could we come up with a working definition of, of domestic church? What does that look like? And so we, we propose that a domestic church is, is a household of persons united to God and each other through the sacramental life of the church and committed to sharing that Christian Trinitarian vision of love in their relationships with each other in the world. And so, you know, marriage still takes a pride of place in that definition because of the increased connection of sacramental grace there and its ability to serve as an icon of the bridegroom and the bride. Um, but it also is inclusive enough to, to incorporate even religious communities, right, who are, as we mentioned, domestic churches or are single parent households or divorced households. The, the degree to which that definition fits your household is the degree to which you already are a domestic church. And the degree to which it doesn't fit your household is the degree to which you're called to be a domestic church. Yeah. This so is neither theoretical nor ideal. You know, you go back into sacred scripture and you find that in the patriarchal period, the patriarchs and the matriarchs had sacred functions. You know, you think of Abraham. He wasn't just a father. By virtue of his paternity, he was a priest who built altars and offered sacrifices and blessings. He was a prophet as well who gave oracles concerning the future Messiah. And he was a king. He was ruling an extended family. And so, this is something that, you know, in a sense, it gets transcended by God the Father who sends His Son to give us the Spirit. But you go beyond it, but not against it. And so, ecclesia domestica is more than jargon, it's more than a cliche. Mm -hmm. Domestic church is rooted in the ancient Father's recognition that baptism, and when two people are baptized and they are joined in marriage, they're the ones who confer the sacrament upon each other. Mm -hmm. It isn't the priest who is witnessing on behalf of the church. And so there really is a fundamental reality that isn't over and done on August 18, 1979 for us, but it's, it's something of an organism that continues to grow. And again, if we could just see through the eyes of faith, we'd realize 
this is as big as the large E on the eye exam chart. I mean, this is like, <laughs> why are we looked away from this. Right, well, and, and I think you're right. I mean, you know, we, we really do have an underdeveloped understanding of the role of domestic church and an underappreciation for the, the importance of the domestic church. Because we have a tendency, I think, to think that, uh, you know, there's the church, right? And then, oh, there are all these little domestic churches too, aren't they nice, yeah. you know? But, but, but really, yeah, to borrow a metaphor from John Paul about, uh, St. John Paul, about the East and the Western church, it's almost like the, the, the hierarchical church and the domestic church are two lungs, right? You know, and, and, and right now, the way we tend to do things is that the parish is the center of Catholic life. But really, I think it's supposed to be that the parish is there to nourish the domestic church to then send the domestic church out to do the actual ministry work. Amen. And we are going to talk more about that. So stay with us as University uh, Franciscan University Presents continues. Family is such a beautiful form of ministry. It's the very first place where children learn that they were created to love, serve, and know the Lord. As a child, I was so impacted by my own mom's commitment to daily prayer and scripture reading. She didn't have to say a thing. I just knew that's where she came to love the Lord and where she gained her strength to mother us eight children with such grace and devotion. And it inspired me to immerse myself into scripture and that's where I came to love the Lord. My husband and I try to model this now for our children, conveying that there's no better place to come to know the heart of, the God, the heart of God than to immersing themselves into scripture. Walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. You'll explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage in the Holy Land, Poland, France, Austria, Italy, and more destinations. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about the liturgy of the domestic church life. One of the things that I really found actually beautiful and we were sharing earlier, just refreshing and new, was just the, the things that you've been discussing about the liturgy, liturgical life. We obviously understand that as it relates to the church, but what that says to the domestic church. I think when we think about going to church, we go to church, right? We do that on Sunday. But you're talking that there's actually something that, that the domestic church can live a liturgical life. Yeah, so church is all about liturgy. Right, and, and we use that word a lot, but I don't think a lot of people really understand what it means. And so liturgy is, is, a, is an act of worship. Uh, for Catholics, it's specifically an act of worship that was given to us by God, right? We didn't invent it, He, he gave it to us, it was instituted. And, and also, it, it's, it's essentially the work that God does through that act of worship to heal the damage that sin does to our relationships with Him and each other. And so, for example, the liturgy of the Eucharist, you know, heals the rift that sin causes between us and God, makes eternal life possible, and also communion with others possible as well. But then we take that, then what do we do once we've received that grace? Well, ideally, we, we take that from the church, we, we are sent out into the world, mm -hmm. and we go home to the domestic church where we take that Eucharistic grace and we live in a, a different liturgy there, a liturgy that allows that Eucharistic grace to continue to heal the damage that sin does on the human level, to uh, on our on our the relationships within the family and within society, and so this idea of a liturgy of domestic church life enables us to take that grace home and live that spirituality out in the home in a way that allows God to teach us to love each other the way He loves us. Yeah, it's really the answer to the sending forth at the end yeah. of Mass, where most of us say. Okay, we'll be lucky if Go the kids forth. can get yeah, to yeah, the yeah. parking lot without killing each other, right? 
and then we'll come back for our shot of holiness the next time we get to Mass. But that sending forth really is about going home and learning to love, denying ourselves, getting over our selfishness and our sinfulness to truly love the primary people God has put in our lives. It's a whole lot easier to go out and love the world. I, I can be really nice to you know somebody in my prayer group or a server at a restaurant, but it's a lot harder to do it with a tantruming child or a <laughs> spouse who hasn't shown up when you needed them to. That's where we really get challenged on our holiness and the core of ourselves, but it's such an invitation to the Holy Spirit to transform us when we invite God in to our domestic church life, into those relationships. When you are drawing this link between the liturgy as we experience it in the parish, we're all familiar with the Mass, and then home life as a domestic liturgy, <clears throat> this is not a random comparison. Not at all. This is a real analogy. I mean, the analogy of Eucharistic liturgy, the analogy of domestic liturgy, what is the Eucharist? Well, first and foremost, it's a sacrifice, but then secondarily, it's a meal, communion. Well, what is a meal? It's first and foremost a sacrifice. I mean, just especially if you're eating meat, you know, <laughs> but vegetables too, you know. The Jerusalem temple wasn't just a sacred place for pilgrims, it was also a slaughterhouse. You know, and a kitchen, too, where meals were prepared. We never experience it, and so we tend to forget all of that. But there are so many converging lines that are not accidental. And so it's like underground cables, you know. We're walking over these connections all the time and not realizing that, ah, this is meant to inform and empower us to do that. You know, and so these cables are tragically disconnected, I would say, for many, if not most Catholics, and but just kind of showing them that they're there. Exactly, and you're, you know, of course you're saying the, the liturgy of the Eucharist where, yes, we share meals all the time with our family, and they should be a place of that presence of God in our lives, and we'll talk about, about how to do that in a little while. But also, I, when you're saying this, I think the penitential rite. I mean, where do we have more of a chance to confess our sins to each other, ask for, for forgiveness, yeah. heal and our sinfulness, and reconcile. Yes. That's all, it's all, it's all tangential. It's all right there with each other. And we just have to learn how to take it from our churches and into our homes to really have that connection with God all the time, which of course then really is what evangelizes our children and allows them to own the faith because they experience the faith as the source of the warmth in their home. Mm -hmm. And when we have that memory as adults of, my home was warmer, more loving, a safer place to be because of the faith that we shared, that's what allows us to say, I want that, I want it for myself, I want it for my children, and, and own it in adulthood. And Lisa, it goes exactly what you're saying is this relationship. You speak a great deal about the relationship that liturgy, that we have literally when we go to liturgy, but that is first established in your home, the rite of relationship. Yeah, so just like, so, so rites are essentially the building blocks of liturgy, right? So we have, like we mentioned, the penitential rite or the communion rite or in, in the liturgy of the Eucharist. Well, we, we say that, that the liturgy of domestic church life has three rites as well. So there's the the rite of Christian relationship, which gives us an opportunity to practice the priestly mission of baptism by living out Christ's sacrificial love in the home. Then there's the rite of family rituals, which has to do with the prophetic mission by having strong rituals for working, playing, talking, and praying together communicates Christian attitudes toward work and 
fun and relationship yeah, and, right. and, and faith. And then there's the rite of reaching out, which is the royal mission of baptism, because we reign with Christ by serving with Him. And so this is the ways that families care for each other and care for others that they meet. And so those three rites make up this liturgy of domestic church life. That's an excellent theoretical paradigm. I really like that. I want to get that. I, I also appreciate the fact that you make it not just theory, but practice. You know, and the way you talk about this reminds me of lessons that we had to learn the hard way, <laughs> for the most part. No. Um, that there are there are lines from the liturgy that we've all heard, and we know, like the back of our hand as Catholics, lift up your hearts, you know, uh, and, and so on. But I think we ought to recognize that there are also lines in the domestic liturgy. I mean, we can vary and adapt, but you know, I love you, thank you, I'm sorry, I forgive you. Tell me about your day. I'd be glad to. These are the things that, I mean, you can get a PhD in marriage and family sociology and still have a wrecked dysfunctional family, you know, <laughs> right. but if you know your lines and you, and you speak them sincerely, yeah, you might not right. even have a bachelor's degree, but you yeah. might have a really healthy and growing into the holiness family. Absolutely. And then this, this the thing, this liturgy of domestic church life, I mean, you know, it's, it's, we're using very theological language here among us, but, but, you know, it's something that any family can do just by being a family and being intentional about their relationships, about rituals, about the ways they care about each other in the world, and anybody can do that wherever they are. But it's, it's definitely a, a blessing that we have as Catholics that we can take back and be intentional about in a world that is saying, don't look at each other as a family, you know, live the capitalistic life or the socialist life or work, be busy, get your kids in every activity you can get them in because somehow that's going to keep them out of trouble. Don't be a family. Have 15 minutes a day together if you're lucky. And, and we're really inviting people to say, no, you know, if we really want to be a domestic church, we need to be intentional. We need time together. We need to make correct choices in this. And we need to be able to have these specific times set apart and prioritized before we take on the world. Yeah, and I think it goes back to your point, Scott, which is well made, that it's, it's this is concrete. This is nice theology, things like that, but it's in, in that concrete company to the relationship, in, in the relationship between the spouses, the relationship between the brothers and sisters with one another, the relationship between the parents and the children. And that doesn't happen in 15 minutes, no. right? It no, you need to happen. schedule family time first and really start seeing that as, you know, the most important activity in your week. And you can fit other things in around that. But family, you know, used to, I mean, even when I was growing up, the idea was, you know, we made time for family dinners and family, family game nights and a family day. And if I could do some activity that fit in around that, Great. You know, now it's exactly the opposite, you know, where you can do all the millions of activities and if we can happen to fan, finish, you know, fit in a little family life here and there, that's nice. But we're, we're trying to reverse that, to really flip that and say, so in this right of Christian relationship, the first right, one of the first practices is encouraging families to schedule family time first, to really say, how much time does it take for us to function well as a family? You know, most families need at least 10 to 15 hours a week together to really be at their best. So how do we carve that out, put that on the calendar, put that so on the phone? How do they do that? Well, yeah, exactly. You have to, but you have to start looking at that and asking that question. You know, are there certain things that maybe we do need to pull out of? Maybe we're too busy. It's fine to have, you know, a sport or this lesson or whatever. But how do we make sure that we're actually 
looking at a, for example, look at a week where we get along better as a family. How much time do we put into the relationships? Okay, can we fit that into the calendar every week? If not, let's start working toward that step by step. You know, let's do what we can and just build up to that. Well, and, and that allows us to have differences in our families. Some families need a little bit more time. Sure. Some needs, need a little bit less time. But then once we begin to figure that out, then we can build in what we call the routines, the right of, of routines, which is about working and talking and playing and praying together and making time for all of that. And that sounds like, I'm never going to have time to go to work ever again. But that's not the case at all, because these are things we do naturally as a family, but it's about being intentional and connective about them. So if we're working together, so many of us as moms just think, divide and conquer. You know, <laughs> this kid goes and cleans the bathroom, I'm doing the kitchen, husband clean up the family room, and, and then you divide and divide and divide. Everybody not getting it all done right and yeah. on, on schedule. And somebody, you know, shirking their duty. But if you're saying, you know, we have to clean up the kitchen anyway. Let's just go from our spending time together, talking over dinner, our, our you know, talk ritual over dinner of really talking, not just how was your day, what kind of homework do you have to do, but really talking and connecting to let's all clean up the dishes together and, and clean up this whole area and reset it while we talk some more or while we turn on some music and we dance in the kitchen or we do something that connects us. So it's not about getting chores done. It's still about connecting, getting to know each other's hearts, making those memories. So it's not about, you know, finding more time in the already busy day. It's about making better use of the things that you're already that's, doing. That's crucial. You know, when you talk about theory and practice, the theory shows us that what we're doing is significant and it makes it more intentional so that you can connect the spirituality of priest, prophet, and king and all of that with the chores and the humdrum that you would have been doing anyway, but now you're doing it with greater intentionality. You know, I also like what you are teaching and sharing with other people because, you know, there's a risk of, well, a twofold risk. On the one hand, comparing yourselves with other families. Oh, and then just feeling like we fall so short of these perfect ideals without knowing what they're struggling with or how they're failing. But I mean, that kind of comparative approach, I think, is risky. You it's can learn from fragile. other families, but don't judge yourself, mm -hmm. comparing yourself to other families. And I would also say that there is a risk in failing to see that you go through seasons of life. You know, and so when you had multiple teenagers like we did and you did, and when we have an empty nest, and when our kids come back as adult children, you're still their parents. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's very different. When our, our boys came back from uh, seminary because of COVID and everything was locked down, you know, we used to always kind of pray as a family with the kids before school. And then as they got older, we would just kind of catch as catch can and do it on our own. But they brought the bravery back. And so we started praying the, the divine office together, morning prayer, evening prayer, and sometimes in the afternoon. It's like, where did this come from? And, but it was a season of life. Right. We don't still do that, but at the same time, boy, did we learn from it. Well, I love what you're saying because we do see, especially in what we do through CatholicCounselors.com, the comparison thing is horrible. It so is. If, if anyone who's listening hears you and all they take away from this whole conversation is, 
the Hans pray the divine office. So I'm going to try to do that with my four children under five years old. That's what we're going to do because that will make us holy because of the comparison. We miss the fact that we're unique and unrepeatable people and unique and unrepeatable families. And God has a call for our holiness in our moment, in our stage of life. So if I have four children under the age of five, if I'm turning on you know, worship and praise music that kids like and we're dancing and I'm telling them how much God loves them and they're having an experience of God and joy with mom, they're going to have that holiness moment. That's and so am prayer. I. That's, that's, evening, that's prayer. evening prayer. So we have to say, where are we? And how does God want to meet us and us to meet Him in this day, today? Amen. And we'll be right back with more Franciscan University Presents. Please stay with us. Faith in our family was something that we decided early on is going to be lived out on a daily basis. We can see examples of that all the time in our family. We go on road trips and we'll pass by an uh, accident or we'll see an ambulance go by and immediately uh, we will ask uh, the kids in the back, not just we should say a prayer, but who wants to lead us in prayer? And immediately, boom, 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 hands go up. And to me, that is just a win. What if you discovered a university with unmatched science, faculty, and programs? A place where you didn't have to choose science over faith. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith-inspired, student-focused, research-driven programs leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word, it's a discovery. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, which we, re which we record here in the Com Arts Studio at Franciscan University in Steubenville. Our students are operating the cameras and the equipment and Franciscan University Theology Professor Dr. Scott Hahn and I are discussing the liturgy of the domestic church life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the, the various rituals that we find obviously in liturgy, but you say that you can discover that in the family life as well. Talked a little bit about relationship. What are some of the other rituals that we, we might be able to see in the family life? So right, so the first one is the rite of Christian relationship where we learn how to love each other the way Christ loves us as opposed to just with our broken human love. And then the second one is the rite of family rituals which is all about living out that prophetic mission of baptism by communicating Christian attitudes toward work, pl play, communication, talk, and prayer um, through our life, right? And then the third right is the right of reaching out, where families learn to care for each other and, and the world more deeply. You said, you mentioned the, the prophetic nature of family, and I think that's something that's so needed today. Maybe speak to that, that we live in a world that is, I think, so confused about what is family. It's like either everything is family or nothing is family. And mm -hmm. speak to how, how a family can be prophetic in that. I think that we have to remember that that prophetic nature first is to each other and our children, and then it's to the world. When we are living an authentic domestic church life, it will resonate with people. But our first and, and most important priority is to be prophetic to our, 
our spouse and our children, the people that we share our domestic life with. And that comes from doing things like working and talking and playing and praying together. You know, we have the scripture about, you know, share, I, I'm going to miss the quote, maybe you can help me, Scott, but it's the, the scripture of, you know, talk about God to your family life, to your family when you rise and when you go to sleep and when you walk along the way. That's domestic life. Mm. And when we work and talk and play and pray together, we're showing our family how to relate to the world and each of those things as we do them. And I, I want to emphasize here for our families that are listening, we can get very serious about being Catholics, mm -hmm. but part of this really is playing together. Mm. It's, it's important that we talk about more than just bare bones things. We need to talk about our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our concerns as a family. Have that be, our hearts be the landing place for the needs of our family to yeah, discuss you, you mentioned things. Play. I, I just want to touch on the, the spirituality of game night real yeah. quick. Yeah, so yeah, I, was we, I, have, I, have that, a, so. I have a family that I was working with who had a number of children and they were all very faithful until they hit adolescence. And then one by one, each of the kids would just sort of fall away. Uh, from the faith and start making choices that the parents were really upset about. And we were just talking and counseling about, you know, well, what's going on here? And, you know, this was a family that, that was very faithful. They did pray together. Um, they worked together as well in a family business. Um, but they never played together. They, they, did, they never made time for, for fun. And what would happen as each kid went into their teenage years and then they wanted to know how to have fun, they had to turn to their peers to learn how to do it. And their peers were teaching them how to have fun in ways, of course, that were really destructive. But when we have those rituals in the home for working and playing and talking and praying together, we're teaching our kids how to have a well-rounded Christian life, like in Christian attitudes toward fun and toward relationship and toward faith and, and all of that. So, you know, I, I think these rituals, we, we think of them as nice things for families to do. Oh, it's nice, mm -hmm. we had some time to play a game. You know, oh, mm -hmm. but we don't really see the, the deeper uh, values that are being communicated through and those rituals. And that's also how this is prophetic. You know, yeah. we're communicating how, a Christian attitude toward all the stuff we do. Yeah, that but, deep no. importance that allows us and then our children, as we are prophetic to them, to know in their bones who they are. So, yeah, I know what play is and, and real joy is with my family. I know what this that's person is really offering right. me doesn't feel right. You know, I know how to work alongside of someone and accomplish something and know that sense of rightness because I've learned to serve, but I'm not going to make work my God. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep God as my God. We're constantly mm -hmm. instilling a deep sense of rightness in the faith in our family when, when we live this mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Locking on to that notion of prophecy is so important because priest, prophet, and king, there really is something central about that role as prophets because, you know, we're not Elijah, but we're mom and dad. And so, you know, the word of the Lord comes to us, you know, on the one hand, I look at my spouse and I, you know, she's my bride, 42 years and all of that, but the Lord whispers the word, she's my daughter too, mm -hmm. and you're going to be judged on how well you love her, so just pour yourself out. Likewise, when you have kids, we're so grateful and proud, and yet we're reminded by the word of the Lord, they're God's children. You know, and as Pius XI points out in Casti Canubi, you know, we baptize them to remind ourselves and then them as well throughout their lives that they are called to be sons and daughters of God, and we are the, the principal evangelizers, the primary catechizers. And this isn't just jargon. This isn't just kind of like idealistic rhetoric or wishful thinking. 
This is the hard, cold reality of what it means to be parents. Since you have to do it anyway, yeah. do it right. Just yeah. make a few <laughs> micro adjustments and you'll find out that supernatural grace enables you to be more natural, to yeah. play Frisbee, football, but also Monopoly. And, you know, we had game nights. We also had date nights. And so the kids knew that mom and dad were going out once a month until it became once every two weeks. And, you know, I think another part of it, too, is, you know, showing your kids how much you adore their mom respect, affection, laughter, you know, so that the home is a haven in a heartless world like Lash. And creating those, those, and you know, every family does do some degree of working or playing or talking or praying together, yeah. but, but we don't necessarily make them rituals. You know, a ritual is something that is scheduled and uh, you know, kind of expected everybody shows up. Right, right. There's an order to it. And, you know, so it's so important to have that order, to carve out that time, because that also prophetically kind of communicates the message that there are certain things that are worth prioritizing. Right. You know, the world will fill up your schedule with a million different things, but, but it's important for us to make this time to have a meal together and really talk. It's important for us to show up and, you know, wash the dishes together. And yeah. so we can realize we're not just showing up for the good stuff, we're showing up for the hard stuff too. And it's important for us to take, make a little time to really pray and reflect on the blessings that God has brought into our lives or the, the concerns that we have to bring to Him. It's, you know, it's to have those times, actual times in the day to work and play and talk and pray together. And, you know, you can do that in, in doing the stuff you're already doing, just doing it a little more intentionally, mm -hmm. and altogether, maybe it takes 45 minutes of your day, but it changes your life. That's right. It does. And it doesn't have to be just the parents dictating this. Share the story of the family that you know who, like, put the work, play, talk, pray on their refrigerator and the kids ended up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was working with a family in counseling, and, and we like, talked about this idea. And so she present, the mom presented it to her kids, the idea, we should do something to work and play and talk and pray together every day. And so they put a little chart on the, on the fridge. She just made this Check up. Checking off gold yeah. stars. Yeah. yeah. And, and she just asked the kids, okay, well, you know, what's, what, what's something we can do to, to you know, whatever, whatever category. And the kids started coming to her, hey, we didn't do our work ritual today, or we, oh, didn't, we need to do our prayer ritual, you know. And, and the kids took risk, but they love that structure. They love being able to do that. And children want to connect with their parents That's so true. badly, and our society is so busy tearing that apart. But you see the excitement in children who are willing to take responsibility for, we want to pray, we want to work together. If, if I dare say a positive about COVID was, especially in the lockdown, mm -hmm. what families did, you know, that, that they had more time together. They actually, because they weren't able to go to liturgy, they prayed together. They, there was something about that. And I've heard Amazing. Yeah. many, many people said that it was actually a really beautiful family time. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, honestly, we had several clients who suddenly got better overnight. Because or said we had a chance to do what you've been asking us to do all this time. We finally did it, and guess what? It works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was this light bulb that went on. Because there was we a fear that factor pause. that was paralyzing. I remember when we first got the call that these guys were coming back from seminary. They had been exposed to somebody who might have been positive, but they hadn't yeah. tested yet. You know, so I said, okay, why don't we have you go out to the cabin by the lake for two weeks? You know, and then as they're almost back home, I called them on the cell phone. Just come home. We'll be careful. We'll get you yeah. tested, whatever, you know. And when you shift from fear to a kind of joy, you know, there was still a lot of concern about the pandemic. But uh, looking back on that year or more, we realized it was unique. It was a sabbatical. It was like a year of jubilee yeah. where mm -hmm. you're just not doing the ordinary work. But there's an extraordinary piece that came to our home. And that was the same with the friary. And, and yeah. you know, we have 15 of us together. It was a different time of, of which 
hopefully we've learned something from it. Like, what, what does it mean to be in relationship? What does it mean to be family? What does it mean to do all of these things that you're already doing, but in a different way that brings you closer to one another and closer yeah. to the Lord? Yeah, and I, I hope that as you know, we come out of this, God willing, you know, that, that, that people will be able to hold on to that, mm -hmm. that idea that community is so important and not just rush right back into overscheduling everything. Because again, you, know, you can't really be a domestic, you know, you, you need to carve out the time to celebrate the liturgy, right? You know, you, you need to carve out at least that hour a week to go to mass, right? You, you, you need, in the same way, you need to carve out certain time. Uh, to be a family and to do family things. You can't fit it in in that five minutes that you're, you know, on the way taking a kid to practice and they're in the back of the car right. shoving, you know, a burger in their mouths. Mm. You know? if, <laughs> if I may, you know, there are folks who will admit to having this idea of, I want to fit in being Catholic, I want to fit in the Mass, but can't we just like go in, get the Eucharist and walk out? There are people who are that rushed in their lives, but when they stop themselves for a second. They say, no, of course we can't do that. That wouldn't be sacred. I wouldn't be in the right place. I wouldn't be one with God. I wouldn't be truly fed. We need that time of that ritual of the entire Mass to be fed, to connect with God, to open our hearts and minds to Him. We can't be drive-through family members either. It's, it's, we can't do it in five-minute increments a night. Yeah, the fast food psychology doesn't work in family life. On the other hand, you can't act as though we're entering into this three-hour tranquility or even two hours or one. Exactly. You know, and so we have to be flexible. We've already seen that one size doesn't fit all. Right. You know, the Han family is always a work in progress, but one size doesn't even fit you for long. Mm -hmm. You have to flex. You outgrow. And, and, and so I, I think back to the, some of the things that are constants and other things that are completely, you know, by the wayside. We've now 42 years of marriage and, you know, 39-year-old. So for all of these years, we've always had a good thing. We, we share family dinner. That's a high priority. But because, you know, uh, there's the Latin rite, you know, our domestic church is the German rite. <laughs> so my, my temper or my negativity has got to be put in check by every single member you know, sharing a good thing for which we give thanks. Mm -hmm. Then there was an after-dinner decade until we learned the family rosary and the kids were old enough. Yeah. But that flexibility, but at the same time, the fact that you know, if God accepts us the way we are, perhaps we should too. I think what's important though is, is that process of change was one of discernment and that, right. and that you came to the point that you can't always do what you've done in the past, right. yes. which requires prayer. And you guys spend quite a bit of time talking about that, that the, sadly, the number of people that actually pray as a family, what does that mean? So maybe speak to yeah. that. How do, how do yeah, we well, pray as a family? Let's talk about those numbers first, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, I'm sorry, I blanked on it for a second. Um, it's, it's something on the order of 87% of Catholic families don't pray together at all. Yeah. And only about seven percent. Seven or eight percent. Maybe on that we'll say okay. grace at okay. meals okay. consistently. So I mean it's many. a tiny, tiny number. We don't teach we, we tend to as Catholics to think of prayer as private and an individual. Right. But prayer is always communal. It's always even when you're alone, you're praying with the whole communion of saints and, and God is praying with you know you you're never alone when you're praying. And so um, 
we need to learn as Catholics how to pray as families, as couples. Uh, none of our marriage prep programs teach couple prayer. It's the one thing that we could give couples that nobody else could give them. We don't teach it. Um, you know, so, but, but so we really emphasize, you know, not just saying words at God. I mean, God is certainly happy to have whatever prayers we want to offer Him. But, but, and, 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 there, and the formal prayers of the church are beautiful because they teach us to pray and they, they really help us unite us with the church. But we need to, I think, also be bringing our hearts to God in a way that says, Lord, you know, teach us to be the family you want us to be. You know, and every day we're bringing those things to him and saying, what are, you, what are you saying to me through this experience we had as a family? You know, teach me how to respond to this child to bring out the best in them and myself. You know, teach us how to be the family you want us to be. And so we're praying that way together and, and inviting God, you know, in that incarnational way to be part of this moment. Um, and then that makes those other formal prayers take on re deeper meaning. Um, but, but instead of just kind of saying words at God or, or not praying about it at all, we need to really learn how to pray together that God would teach us to be the family He wants us to be. And it goes back to what you guys have said so many times, relationship. Obviously. Right, relationship. relationship with the Lord, but also relationship with Jesus and allow Him to continue to animate our life. That's beautiful. Up next, our panel and our guests will share their final thoughts about the liturgy of the domestic church life. Please stay with us. So the most important thing we've done, my wife and I, uh, several years back, consecrated our family to the Holy Family through Jesus, through Mary, uh, with St. Joseph, and we committed to praying the daily rosary. The daily rosary is not always easy to pray with little kids running around and big kids arguing with one another, but it's so important to our family. It's really the glue that holds our family together and holds us connected to the church as well. Uh, we've, we're convinced that the rosary is the key spiritual weapon we have right now to protect our families from this world that's uh, attacking us, and so the families really need the rosary. There is a place where education begins, and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu, where your faith and career can connect online. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment. Uh, Scott, if you'd lead us with your final thoughts. Well, you know, I, I have this blockage right now. I can't see anything else except Bill Murray. <laughs> and the, we have two family favorite films, you know, Groundhog Day, and then also What About Bob? <laughs> you know, and both of these, these have lessons to learn from. You know, Groundhog Day is, Every day is a new day, and you can grow. You know, even if you start off as some selfish jerk like Bill Murray does, eventually, you know, every day it's the same day. But in a certain sense, that's true for our days are filled with routine. But I'm also thinking about that other movie, What About Bob? You know, Baby Steps. And I think it's important for people watching us not to take away any of those paralyzing ideals that are unattainable in the near run. Mm. And so, just incremental steps, just, you know, if you haven't been praying together, if you're part of the 83 or 90, whatever percentage that is, just pray a Hail Mary together, and our Father and the glory be, or just pray for your spouse. You know, I, 10 years it took for me to say to Kimberly, you know what, I have never gone wrong trusting you, and I've never gone right distrusting you. Even when I could prove you were wrong, <laughs> I was more wrong by doing that. 
You know, and so it's not me versus you, it's, it's us. We are always right. And, you know, it was a breakthrough and it came too late, but in a certain sense, it never comes too late. It's never too late. And so to recognize that we're rowing together, that we're partners, and then applying that to the family. I think of the game nights that we would have, and we had one or two kids who were really cutthroat competitors with their siblings, and they were ext- one of them in particular would always win. <laughs> Can we guess? And so we had to shift from the competitive to the collaborative games. And boy, what a difference that made. But it took us like two years of fights, you know, in order to figure it out. And it took us, you know, some gradual baby steps to find the right games. But over the time, you know, we've just made so many adjustments. Bottom line is nothing frustrates me more than family. Nothing. Nothing fulfills me more than family. (laughs) And it's 10 times more fulfillment than frustration. But the frustrations are a part of that, you know, the the iron sharpening iron and all of that good stuff. But bottom line, thank you for the ministry. Thank you for the work. Thank you for instilling hope in couples and families. Thank you. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. Uh, what about Bob was also Father Michael Scanlon, one of his favorite movies. <laughs> we won't say anything more about that, but we'll just put that that's out there. Funny. But yeah, what you're saying is so important. This, it's, it's the process, and that's what right. you know, family's in process. So thank you so much. Your, your final thoughts. Well, all right, so we've, you know, we've talked about the first two rites of this liturgy of domestic church life, the rite of Christian relationship, where we live out that priestly mission of baptism by learning how to share Christ's sacrificial love in the home instead of our broken human love. And then we talked about the rite of uh, family rituals, where we you know, live out that prophetic mission in baptism by really having strong rituals for working, playing, and talking, and praying together that communicate Christian attitudes toward everything we do. The, the third rite is this rite of reaching out, which is all about the royal mission of baptism, where we learn to care more deeply for each other in the home and for others in the world. And and I guess I just sort of want to wrap up this idea that so many people that we talk to, um, you know, they have hearts for God and hearts for the church and they want to do ministry work. They want to, they want to serve the Lord. And what they think that means is leaving their families to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most important things that, that we, you know, beat the drum about is that family is a ministry. Family life is the most important ministry that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, pouring that energy into first caring for each other in this rite of reaching out. It's about promptly, generously, consistently, and cheerfully learning to serve each other. That's hard work. And not but just it, the children, but the parents, but the parents as well. Parents. <laughs> and, and teaching the children to do that too, so that we have that family life of mutual self-giving. And again, you know, that, that's that's hard work, and most of us struggle with that all the time. But that, but working through that stuff, like you were talking about, is, is a ministry right. that's communicating God's love to each other through these actions. And so that, that's where it begins. But then if you, when you do that, when you're doing that work, you don't have to be perfect, right? You're just doing that work. And people notice. I can't tell you the number of times, you know, we've gone out to a restaurant and a, and a server will just say, you know, it's just so nice to see a family that, that gets along. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, they're happy. about it. And, and, and yeah. it's, 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 that's ministry. That's touching people. That's saying to people, you know, it's possible to have this. You can have this too. Yeah. And how do we do that? Well, you know, it's, it's the faith, you know, and, and you know, because they might, they might see us saying grace at, at that meal as well. You know, they, you know, they see this something different. We're not putting on a show. We're just mm-hmm. being a family, being you know, and just it's, being it's, what we practice. And it makes a difference as you go about the world and practice that, what we call that ministry of kindness where the goal is that you want to try to leave people happier than you found them, to leave people better off than you found them. So, you know, be that family that, you know, lets the other person go in front of you in traffic or holds the door for them or smiles at the server or says thank you or please or those little things, those are ministries. And I think that the real um, acts of service that we do, we have to rethink of, of 
how we can do those in a more connected way. So there's a professor here at the university who goes to the same parish we go to, and his children are all up on the altar serving together every weekend. We have other people who, you know, mom is singing, dad is reading, the kids are, you know, in the choir. Instead of letting our schedule separate us all out, how can we do this together? You know, can we make a hundred peanut butter jelly sandwiches for the local mm. food bank together? Even the four-year-old can spread peanut butter on a piece of bread. So you're teaching your children service in the family, but also that reaching out to the world, but they're not losing mom and dad to do it. They're not having to just get service hours they check off. They're really learning the, the innate, being able to do this as a family. And again, it creates that warmth in the home that says, wow, this all happened because of our faith. I think I'd like to keep this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for sharing your story and your time and the witness that you give. I think we spend obviously so much of our time is in, in family and we don't give it enough attention in my prayers. So I thank you so much for that. Uh, if you would like to learn more about today's topic, we have this handout uh, available to you. How healthy is your domestic church? It's yours for free simply by going online at faithandreason.com or by calling the number that you're going to see at the bottom of the screen. Uh, this has been a blessing for me just to be able to think and reflect more about family. And all of these things were, I remember trying to have family prayer nights and family rosary nights. And, and half the time, more than that, there were dumpster fires. But, <laughs> but, but, but we continue to try. We continue yeah. to wrestle with that. And, and part of my life growing up was hearing my mom and dad say a thousand times, we've been praying and this is what we think. So it was always a part of our life, and, and it's just the great grace and gift that my parents gave. I remember a particular family meeting that we were having, and mom and dad were just talking about their faith. And they were, and we had heard it before, this was not new, that Christ was the most important person in their life, in, in center, and mom was saying this, and dad was saying this, and then after that was their relationship with one another. Well, as a 12-year-old kid, I wasn't that impressed because we came third. I mean, how, did, how does this work? I have a prize for third. I understand now that the greatest gift my mom and dad gave me was that, was that relationship that, that our family was ordered correctly, not perfect, it was ordered correctly, and Christ was always in the center. And, and this is what I've continually come back to, the gift and the grace. And it was just mom and dad being mom and dad, right? And it, it was revealing to us and showing to us what does it look like to... I, the number of times my parents apologized to each other and to us. It was just a part of our experience. And, and I, I like to think that much of my priesthood came about by what mom and dad taught me, what my father taught me about Definitely. being the priest of his home and his family. So I just want to thank you for that. And just as been mentioned a number of times, to encourage the families that are out there watching and, and the tendency we have to look at somebody else and say, we're not doing this right. We're not... Take a breath and just <laughs> and just pray and ask the Lord to be present. And, and as you've both stated, small steps and begin to transform your family. So we ask the Lord's blessing upon you, your families, your children, your brothers and sisters, your moms and dads, that you continue to know the peace and the love of Christ in your family. May the Lord bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Download a free handout on today's topic at faithandreason.com, where you can also watch past episodes of Franciscan University Presents. Or request the handout by emailing us at presents at franciscan.edu. Or reach us by phone for today's handout by calling 800-783-6447. That's 800 800- 
783-6447.